morning, Lit Chat Patriots. This is PJ. And this is Bonnie. And PJ's back with us today. I know. I took a little hiatus. It just so happened that, you know, I got sick on the days that I we were going to go ahead and do recording. But I would like to thank the people that filled in. Um, hopefully you enjoyed that discussion. I heard the discussion and it was a great discussion. So hopefully we can get some more people to come and join us in Lit Chat. So with that said, it's been a while. So you go first. Okay. I did read The Maidens. I think I may have mentioned that at one of the other Lit Chats. What'd you think? Um, I liked it. I, I'm with you. I'll probably read pretty much anything he writes. He is just miraculous in the way that he can lead you through and you think you know. Oh, I know who it is. I know. And man, at the end, he throws you a curveball that you never expected. So do you see this as being a movie? Because we talked about his first book got picked up and will be made into a movie. Do you see Oh, is... yeah. If, if these directors or anybody are smart and well, they might have to wait and see how that one takes off. Yeah. If it goes pretty much anything he writes is going to be movie material. But yes, that this one would get the right people to play the parts. And the other question that I had about this one, because I was interested, I remember that the first one that we talked, The Silent Patient, we talked about how slow it was to get into. Did you find this one to be the same or could you get into it a little bit faster? It was a little faster and he may have realized that after the first one. <laughs> you know, it, it was still a little bit slow at the beginning. Yeah. He takes a lot of time to set his stage, but uh, this one was a little bit faster getting into it. I agree with you on that. The next one I read, it's a, it's a series of books. Um, it's about a little small town, supposedly in New Hampshire, called Stoneham, which is called the quote-unquote book capital of the world. Um, it, pretty much every shop sells some sort of book. It's like a little resort town, uh, you know, a, a leaf peepers paradise type place. Now, is this a, a real town or just no, a made-up town? No, I think it's okay. a made-up town. Okay. I don't know of it being real. But Lorna Barrett writes them, and it's about this. One of the characters owns a bookshop, um, a mystery bookshop. Strictly, She deals strictly in mysteries. And her sister owns pretty much half the town secretly. Uh, they're rich. They were left a lot of money by okay. somebody. And uh, she also had rich husbands that she... <laughs> Her sister, not her, Trisha's uh, sister. But it, it's it, they're cute. They're they're those little couple little cozy mystery type books. They're, they're a little more than the cozy mystery, but not not serious serious. Um, but basically, you know, she's it's one of these deals where she's always tripping over a dead body somewhere. You know? <laughs> I don't know how these people do it. You know, once they find one, they just keep finding dead bodies. And, and, of course, this one was called The Deadly Deletion. It's about the 14th or 15th book in the series. So, I mean, you know, wow. there, it's it's quite, it's been out there for a while. I also read kind of a romance thing, but it was romance with a twist. It was called Mischief and Mistletoe, and it was several different authors. And the, the heroines in these books have decided, I want this guy, and I'm going to go get him. And they did whatever they had to do to get him this one. Now, we're talking Victorian era here. Okay. They're, you know, they're historical romances. Um, and 
they were all obviously with the mistletoe. They were all around Christmas time. Um, but um, <laughs> she decides, I got to go get this guy. So I'm going to become a barmaid for a night. Now, these are girls. These are women who are in the, you know, high society families. Uh-huh. But for whatever reason, the guy that they're interested in hasn't noticed them for whatever reason. They've been away at war or something, and they've come back. These girls have grown up. They Would grew up say? with them. But the, this one girl decides, hey, he hangs out at the local tavern every night, so I'm going to become a tavern maid for a night. And if he notices me, fine. If he doesn't, then pfft. But this was somebody she grew up with, you know, okay. a neighboring guy that she was like, he never noticed her because she was the younger sister of somebody or whatever. And now she's grown up into this voluptuously beautiful woman and he doesn't seem to notice her, you know, and she wants him to notice her. <laughs> so she decides, to, you know, it's stories like that. So these, these women have just decided, I want this and I'm going to go get it. So and I'm not, not going to wait for the guy. They're not yeah. your damsels in distresses. No, they're, Love they're that. your very you know, you're, you're, I'm going to go take what's mine. <laughs> I like it. I appreciate that. And then another one that I, it's a series again. I, I read a lot of series, especially the mystery series. Uh, Sheila Connolly has written several different series. Uh, this particular one is called County Cork Mysteries. It takes place in Ireland in this little town called Leap. And the, the name of the town came about because apparently in some war or something, somebody leaped the local stream to get away from somebody. <laughs> so they named the town Leap. Um, but it's just this little hole-in-the-wall place in Ireland. Somewhere Is that a near, real city? No. I don't know. I don't know if these are quote-unquote real cities or not because the towns that they talk about close by, Dublin, Cork, these other yeah. places are obviously real. So it could be a real little town for I'm all we know. Have to look that up. Um, the tavern the, that she runs, um, it was willed to her through her grandmother's machinations with a guy who had no relatives, and she wanted her granddaughter to go back to Ireland. She was born in America, and so she, Maura goes back to Ireland on her grandmother's wishes and finds out she's been deeded she's been willed this tavern and little cottage somewhere out in the middle of nowhere okay i feel like you've talked i probably have talked about her before and the last couple that i've read um the lost traveler is a they kind of take up a social issue of that era that area oh Uh, in ireland that you it's sort of like maybe a social issue that are in other places but because it's in ireland and because of their social uh, atmosphere and stuff you get a whole different take on it like the lost traveler travelers were similar to gypsies but god forbid you call them a gypsy okay um but they basically traveled around the country but they had the same connotations as gypsies you know a lot of them would get in trouble with the law and now all this, this kind of stuff modern course, times yes or, this okay. is modern okay. times and they still do it, apparently. You know, it's still this thing where travelers go around. And, of course, you know, they have a bad name, a bad rep. And, of course, one of them is found dead. But they don't know who he is in the beginning of the book. You find out later that he was a traveler. 
but it's this deal he has no identification he has nothing on him you know they don't have all of your usual you know cell phones whatever because they live out in wherever so it's it's a little bit of a social commentary on the times um but it's it's in ireland and it's with some of the stuff that they deal with you know and they deal with the same kind of things we do you know drug use drugs being brought in you know people with uh, racial biases or you know social biases against people it's it's but it kind of reminds me of the tanya french novel that we read the searcher yeah because that was in ireland too and there was that aspect of you know a poor family that was looked down upon right nice yeah so, but I'm keeping up with that series. So um, I've kind of caught up to where I'm at with that one right now. So <laughs> that's it. So what have you been reading? I've been reading a lot of nonfiction. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever do you mean? The first one that I read was from one of my favorite nonfiction writers, Eric Larson. And it's In the Garden of Beasts. I had been interested in this book and then come to find out Tom Hanks, who I really like as an actor, will be in this movie. So I thought, oh, I want to read it before I see the movie. And it's about um, the rise of Hitler and the Nazi party through the eyes of the U.S. ambassador to Germany, Oh, okay. William Dodds. So he's ambassador to Germany from 1933 to 1937. And I thought this was an interesting book because so much of what we know about World War II is directly once the war starts. We don't, there are some books, but the before isn't always mentioned or it's not mentioned through the perspective of an American living. Right, okay. Um, so I found that to be very interesting. Um, or the perspective of somebody who lived through the war, even though they were American. Yes. Yes. Okay. But I also thought it was very interesting because there was, a, there was so much anti-Semitic views from top U.S. officials. Somewhat surprising, but somewhat not. But then at the same time, you're like, you know, we fought because we didn't like what the Germans or the Nazis, I should say the Nazis, not the Germans, were doing, invading, right. and what they were doing to the Jews. So it was... Interesting to find out that some of the top officials at that time for the United States had anti-Semitic views and were completely fine with what Hitler was doing. I mean, of course, at the well, time... that's interesting because were they, quote-unquote, fine, fine, I use that term loosely, <laughs> fine with what he was doing in regard to the Jews, but not what he was doing in regard to trying to take over Europe? Or was it they were sort of okay with Hitler. They were, so it seems like they were okay with Hitler because up until that point, he hadn't been, his plans to invade Europe hadn't been made. Okay. It was more about trying to solve this Jew problem. And apparently some of these top officials were f completely fine with that. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But also, it's just their ignorance and willingness to ignore the brutality that was occurring to the Jews and even to American Jews. You know, you had 
American Jews that were traveling to Germany and weren't being treated kindly were being beat up by Nazis. And the government was, and I don't want to say everyone in the government, but you know, you had your high officials in the government who are like, too bad. Yeah, not a big deal. It was not a big deal. So I found it to be really interesting. Also, his daughter, Martha, I mean, she is just one scandalous woman. Okay. She She's interesting because uh, talk about a woman out of her time. So she gets married. Then she separates, and I'm not sure if she gets divorced. Like she gets divorced and starts having affairs, or she's just separated and it starts having affairs. But she has affairs with Nazis and some of these high-ranked Nazis. She has affairs with people from the Communist Party. All while her dad is trying to prevent, you know, her dad's a very, I don't want to say strict, but he definitely doesn't want to be causing scandals. He thinks before he acts, whereas Martha doesn't. So she ends up creating a lot of scandals for him. <laughs> doesn't really help him. Now, is he for or against? What's his stand on that? He on is Hitler very... Thing? So I think at the beginning, he doesn't see the problem. And he doesn't see the problem because the Nazis have just gained power and they haven't fully shown what they're capable of or, yeah, what they're planning. But as the years go by, he starts to understand and see them for who they are more so and faster than most people. So, yes, by the end, he's just very, I would say, very disappointed with the fact that the United States doesn't step up and try to do something more to combat Hitler and the Nazis. Before it's gotten out of hand. Because yes. we know several other books that we've read talk about how things built up and built up. And it's also just so much turmoil because he was a professor, I forgot what college, but he, he's a professor. He's not a politician. So then you have some of the like politicians who don't like him. They see him as an outsider. He was a very modest person, so he drove his own car. He wasn't about luxury. And that was another thing that separated him from the politicians. Um, So there was a lot of animosity towards him just because of how he did things. And it's not that he did anything wrong. It's just his style was to be modest and not to overspend. He believed in having a budget, whereas other politicians in his position were like, our job is to just wine and dine, and that's all we have to do. And he's like, yes, you can wine and dine, but you need to do it on a budget because you know, we work for the American people. So it, it was very interesting. Also, it's just going back to Martha, she ends up at one point becoming a spy for the USSR. <laughs> okay. Yes, and she's Semi, you know, uses her father and her had a really tight relationship. And so they'd always had these conversations about what was going on. So she, uh, you know, she had some information that was beneficial to the USSR. Because of it, she was exiled. She, uh, they were going to try her 
but she ended up not coming back to the United States. Okay. Also, what I thought was very interesting, talk about Martha. At one point, um, she was chosen by Hitler's good friend, best friend at the time, as a candidate for Hitler's wife. So he tried to set her up with Hitler. So, I mean, a bunch of interesting stuff. Um, very scandalous on Martha's part. Very interesting to see basically the appeasement and how Hitler was allowed to. Now, I had, and, and obviously I may not know, this, this may not be the book that I'm thinking of, but I thought that this book was purported to be very, um, it, it had some violence in it, and it was purported to be relatively violent. Am I off the mark there? There is some violence. It's mostly... Um, Psychological? No, it's mostly beatings. Like, they'll talk about how, um, you know, as the Nazis rise into power, they start mistreating Jews, including American Jews. They start beating them up. The bloodiest thing about this is at one point, Hitler decides to do a purge and get rid of a bunch of officials that were against him, which ultimately causes him to gain power. But it, it's not at all bloody in okay. this book. But for some reason, I had it in my head that this was like a horrifically violent terrible story a violent story my next book radium girls by kate moore radium girls um i know you've caught me talking about it and i've been talking about it with darla um this is a book that is not new it's been around um i hadn't wanted to read it one of my co-workers had suggested it to me and i just never got around to it Forgot about it because I have a list of books that I want to read and then came upon a trailer for a movie that had been done over the subject. So then decided to read it and um, this was a very hard book to read. Very hard. Not because it's not a good story. It is a very interesting story. It's a very heartbreaking story. And there were times where I had to I was listening to the story in my car and I had to just switch to radio because it was too much. Not gonna lie, there were times where I was crying because it's the story of these girls who work in a radium dial factory. They're painting the dials of clocks and they're using radium paint. And the radium paint allows these clocks to glow in the dark which was very beneficial. And this is right, I think, before the start of, I want to say either, I want to say World War II. I was thinking that seems to be more of the time frame for that type of thing. I don't think World War I, I don't think they were doing that kind of stuff yet, were they? I'm not sure. Um, because I also forget when radium was discovered by Marie Curie. Um, but it's tragic because radium was once seen as a cure for everything. And of course, radium is toxic. You can get cancer because of the radiation of it. But yes, at one point, this was seen as a cure for everything. And it was in your cough syrups. 
it was in your shampoo. Ugh. It fixed your like, if you were bald, you just had to put some <laughs> shampoo with radium and your hair was gonna grow. Unfortunately, I don't think that happened. I don't, somebody dropped the ball on that one. I mean, it was insane, <clears throat> insane how radium was allowed to go into so many things. At one point, they talk about a, it's like a radium bottle and you're supposed to fill it with water, but it's lined with radium. And so, you know, your water gets mixed in with radium and the doctors suggested um, that you take or drink four bottles a day Ooh. of this water for your health. So this is at a time when radium's big. What happens eventually is there's not much known. It's still, they're still learning about radium. What little is known is not told. Unfortunately, what made it worse for the girls is to get the dials, to paint the numbers on the dials, it had to be a very fine point. If you dip it in paint and you draw the number, eventually your brush starts to, the bristles start to flatten. Right. To get it back to a fine point. They would lick it, I bet. They lick it. Oh my God. So they're essentially eating the paint but it gets worse because the women, not knowing that it was dangerous, and even when the company started to realize it was dangerous, they hid it from them, they would go home and they would glow. Oh my God. Because of all the radium they had. Jeez. At some, like sometimes they would even go into closets and like paint mustaches and like turn off the lights so they could see their like painted mustaches glow because they didn't think that it was dangerous. So of course, they start to realize that it is dangerous. It causes cancer. But all this time, I mean, what's so sad about the story is that they kept denying and they kept hiding the truth from the women and so many women essentially lost their lives. And this was one of the jobs that paid better. Of course. So for some of the women, you've got these poor women who, there was one family whose, the sister developed cancer and the other sister was working at the factory and had an idea that something in the workplace caused the cancer, but to pay for the doctors, of her sister, she just continued to work there and put herself at risk. And this is the, the, the part that you're, for me, was just hard and made me cry, was the details of these women and what they go through. At one point you have, you know, their teeth are falling off, but it's not just their teeth are falling off. At one point there's a story of, uh, she goes and she pulls her jawbone oh. and her jawbone just comes off because the jawbone has oh. all of these holes in it. Oh. So, I mean... That would just be horrible. It is a very, very difficult book to read. And I will admit, at times I wanted to give up on it because of just how the detail of it. Not to say it wasn't a good story. It was. These women, you know, kept fighting for their rights. And eventually, 
It took a long time for them, but eventually, you know, they ended up winning. And because of these women, you know, it really gave way to practices on how to handle radium, what to do. Um, I mean, we really have a lot to think when it comes to these women. You know, a lot of their bones were tested and a lot of their bodies were given to science. And so we were able to learn a lot more. And the interesting thing is some of these women passed away and then years later, um, exhumed the bodies. They would exhume their bodies and their bones would glow. Oh my gosh. Because that's just how much radium was in them. So I would, I, I would suggest radium girls, but I would say if you are squeamish, this is a very gross book because she does give detail. But I think you almost, you, you need that detail because you just don't realize how horrible it was. And it's even worse that she gives you the details and then there's this prolonged campaign to hide the truth. And these women are dying at a young age and they're leaving behind their like family and their kids who are in the process of also going broke. And at one point, actually, it, it's even before World War II because they talk about the Great Depression and right. how some women weren't even able to, like some women would choose not to leave because their husband had lost their job. So the women had to continue to work. So it's a it's a good book, but it is a hard read. But yes, it you know, at the end of the day, what these women went through, you know, thankfully for us, we learned so much from that terror. People still learn from this case. Well, there are so many times in history that you have stuff like that where people had jobs and didn't know what they were dealing with and People who did know what they were dealing with kept things secret. I remember we read The Girls of Atomic City. Okay. The girls who were helping to make the atomic bomb, the parts for the atomic bomb. And you know that was toxic material. And in the ending to this book, they talk about how this study and this case with the women led to better protection specifically for the atomic bomb. However, I have not read that book, so I don't know how well they kept to those guidelines. I don't think, remembering the parts that I remember of that book and the issues that they had, I don't think they followed those guidelines very well. I mean, I think ultimately that is the tragedy that when push comes to shove, people's lives get put at risk because we need to win a war. We need to... It's kind of that... We, for the greater good. Yes. And sometimes the greater good is just... It makes us more money, right? So we can sacrifice a couple of girls. So, yes. Personally, it, sometimes I think the greater good isn't necessarily greater either. But that's just... No, and like I said, don't want to get into that. <laughs> to put to put a better spin on this. Thankfully, these women's lives have provided us with an abundance of scientific information has led to the government led to the government being tougher. The one thing though that will annoy me 
and I think it will annoy you too, is this case didn't become as big until there was a golfer who was also like a famous bachelor. I think he got into a car accident or he got into some accident and he was prescribed medication with radium and he ended up dying of cancer. And because he was so well known, it kind of blew up this case. So it took a man dying. Took a man. It took a man. One man, man over hundreds, hundreds of, of women. women. Exactly. What about you? Anything else? Oh, I keep reading all kinds of books. That's good. After that, you know, it's hard to follow that um, because mine are always lighthearted. <laughs> well, no, I that's a good a thing. I have a tendency. I, I like to read for enjoyment more than anything else. So reading books like that, unless we're reading them for the group read or something, yeah. I generally am not going to pick up um, just because... Um, now, Eric Larson did write another one that we um, did. It was the, the one about the Lusitania. I forget what I the name of it was. I did not read that was. one. I forget the name of it, but that was an interesting book. Um, I did like that one. Um, Kate Carlisle, obviously, I'm going along with my bibliophile mystery series. You know, she's the book binder, and uh, I'm up to book 10. <laughs> nice. And she keeps tripping over bodies. <laughs> She's she's come to think, you know, that, you know, why me and yeah. the the guy from the the leader of their commune and all says, well, it's not that you're tripping over bodies because it's a bad thing. He says you're tripping over the bodies because the the greater good understands that you will find justice for these people. Yeah, you'll do something about it. You'll do something good when you when you do this. So it's not necessarily a bad thing that you keep finding bodies but she still has issues you know you gotta spin it in a positive way right and then there's uh i read a she doesn't come out with ones very often it's uh laurian laurian writes uh, a series of books the melanie travis canine mysteries and it's it's a lot about dog shows. Um, the main characters have standard poodles. Now, you have to understand there's three different size poodles. I think I've mentioned, I've talked about this book before. Yes. But a stand- standard poodle is a very huge. tall, they're huge dogs. She talks about she's a normal height of five foot seven and her dogs comes up to her waist. I remember you know. us talking about this because remember I told you that so, my dog for some reason loves he's a small like he's a mix of a poodle and he's a small poodle but he loves big poodles his ears perk up every time he sees a big poodle i don't know what so, it is but the, but they also cover different types of dogs and and dog shows and in this particular one they deal with dalmatians but there's always a mystery you know there's always usually a murder that takes place and her aunt or somebody you know, says, okay, you've got to go figure this out. <laughs> so in the background, she's like asking questions and stuff and finding out, you know, and the dogs, of course, play a very big role in these books. I wonder how much research goes into that book, because also you got to think that. Well, she is, she apparently did a lot, a lot of research as far as how dog shows are run. 
because every book will take you through different parts of a dog show and the judging and the behind the scenes and what happens, you know, behind the scenes at a dog show. Um, Which fascinates me because you yeah. just think, oh, everything runs smoothly, but I'm sure that there's competition and there's people who just don't like other people. And there's judges you don't want to be under, but eventually you have to be under them. And there's judges who are biased against certain dogs, but they're not supposed to be because they're judges, you know. So, yeah, it, it gets a little interesting on that point sometimes if you if you really are into that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. I just like it because I like to see all the different types of dogs that she comes up with. And then there's one other series that I read. It's by Carolyn Hart, and it's um, about Bailey Ruth Rayburn is a ghost. Oh. But we don't call them ghosts. <laughs> they are spiritual beings. Okay. <laughs> she is from heaven. She is sent down from heaven to her little hometown. Everything always happens in Adelaide, Oklahoma. Don't know if Adelaide's a real place or not. But... Um, but she's always sent as an emissary for um, from heaven to help people who are in need. And um, and she's there are precepts that they're supposed to follow. Okay. And one of the precepts in particular is you're not supposed to show yourself unless it's absolutely necessary. She always finds it absolutely necessary. I was going to say, does she follow the rules or does she kind of break them? No, she breaks the rules all the time. But she always <laughs> has a really good reason for doing it. So, but and, and, of course, in the end, good always prevails. And that always makes them fun, you know. But she has managed to win over Wiggins, who is the head of the Department of Good Intentions in Heaven. And, you know, so he kind of overlooks some of her foibles and... <laughs> So it's always a little fun read. They're usually under 200 pages, yeah. you know, just fun little reads, you know, about how she manipulates people. And <laughs> Well, let me tell you, this is like the perfect weather to lay on your hammock and read. Perfect weather. Yep. And um, I think you'll be happy to know that I have finally found some time. So I'm starting to read the Ichabog. Okay. Um, so it, my reading should be a little bit lighter, except that I also found a book on Caligula. <laughs> so of course you did. <laughs> if it's not history, you're. <laughs> so um, I'm gonna try to read three books, and so maybe next time I could start with happy book, serious book, happy book again. <laughs> I'll keep reading my usual stuff. Every so often, I'll pick up something different, but we'll see. It's good because it's like, you know, it's the yin and the yang. You bring the light. I guess I bring the darkness with my books. <laughs> you bring us interesting. That's what you do. Thank you. Well, guys, I hope that you guys enjoyed this lit chat. Next month, it's once again, read whatever you'd like. Always, we are interested to know what you are reading. So if you'd like to tell us, go ahead and just message us, put it on our Facebook or Instagram, or just call the library and let us know, right? Right. Until we meet again, this is PJ. This is Bonnie. Bye guys. Bye.